0: Genesis chapter 1, and we're ready for verse 26. And we're going to look at our study this afternoon in Genesis. Why does man want to make a monkey out of himself? Now, of course, the existence of man raises three great questions. Who are we? Where did we come from? And what are we here for? Uh, there are many who try to answer these questions based on assumptions and theories of evolution. Uh, what do you mean when we talk about the theory of What do we mean by when we talk about the theory of evolution? Well, uh, the encyclopedia will tell us evolution is a process of gradual change. The process of evolution most commonly refers to the formation and development of life on the earth. The idea that living things evolved from non-living matter and changed through the ages is called the theory of organic evolution or simply the theory of evolution. In other words, evolution states that man is a, a form of life that came from non-life and through a series of changes over the course of millions of years came to be man as we know him. Now again, I refer to Uh, the World Book Encyclopedia, where it says, According to this theory, the first single cell organisms appeared about three or four billion years ago after the Earth's crust had formed and cooled. As times passed, more complex organisms gradually developed specialized characteristics that helped helped them to adapt to their environment. This uh, evolutionary process eventually produced all the species that inhabit the Earth today. Now, that's in the World Book Encyclopedia. Now, you can't believe everything you read in the World Book Encyclopedia. Just because it's an encyclopedia doesn't mean that it's the truth. Uh, Dr. Robert Jastrow, a well-known geologist, astronomer, astronomer, physicist, who's also an agnostic, said, It happened this way. Now and then, in the primordial seas of the Earth, collisions occurred between neighboring molecules. In some of these collisions, two small molecules stuck together to form a larger one. Then another small molecule collided and stuck, and then another. Eventually, after countless millions of chance encounters, a molecule was formed that had the magical ability to divide into two copies of itself. This was the start of life. And it's believed that about 50 million years ago, in the development of primates, three main lines emerged. The prosimians, now represented by such animals as lemurs, lorises, and torsier, uh, torsiers, tarsiers. The new world monkeys, such as the mossets, the howler, the spider monkeys, and the old world monkeys, such as baboons. By the way, when you have a group of cows, what do you call them? Herd. What do you when you have a group of geese? What do you call them? And what about chickens or sheep? Flock. What about baboons? Does anybody know what they call them? A congress. Does that tell you anything? <laughs> a congress of baboons. All right. Well, that was free. It's believed that at some point there was a split. Off the old world monkeys giving us our hominoid group which includes gibbons and apes and humans. It's believed that these apes and monkeys, also called anthropoid, human-like primates, evolved 50 million years ago. The great ape-human divergence happened about uh, between 5 and 8 million years ago. Well, to put it simply, man has been trying to make a monkey out of himself for years. Someone summarized the evolutionary theory with a little poem. Once I was a tadpole beginning to begin, and then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey hanging from the tree, and now I'm a professor with a Ph.D. (laughs) The whole thing is somewhat like the monkey that was seen coming out of the library with two books under his arm. One was a Bible and the other one was Darwin's Origin of the Species. Someone asked him what he was doing and he said, I'm trying to find out if I'm my brother's keeper or my keeper's brother. When we look at the word of God, we can't help but ask why man would try to make a monkey out of himself. What God has to say is so much more logical Sir Fred Hoyle, one of Britain's foremost scientists, conducted a computerized study of the chance that the living cell could have developed by a random process. And he calculated the chances of random chemical shuffling in some primordial soup that could produce the complex basic enzymes of just one cell of life is only 1 in 10 to the 40th power. That's 10 followed by 40 zeros that life would just happen. He said this, there's as much chance of evolution being true as a hurricane going through a junkyard and building a Boeing 747. Someone else said to suggest that life just happened by accident has about the same probability as suggesting that Webster's unabridged dictionary would result from an explosion in a printing factory. And so let's notice from Genesis, God's word, how man really got here. Who he is and the purpose for which he's here. First of all, man is a divine creation. Man is a divine creation. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. How did we get here? Well, man was created by God. And the existence of man is due to a process... Uh, Not a process, but a person. The existence of man is not due to a process, it's due to a person. The missing link is not found in the Piltdown man, or the Java ape man, nor the Nebraska man. It's found in God. As we look at the Bible, we see first of all that man was miraculously made. Miraculously made. In Genesis chapter 2, and verse 7, we read, And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That word formed there is used of a potter shaping clay. God took the dust of the earth into his hands, and he fashioned the man that was in his heart. And once God had formed man from the dust of the earth, he breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul. Man did not come from non-life material and through a process developed into a living being. Man was formed by God and in, a, in one divine breath he became a living soul. Incidentally, according to many, the theory of evolution explains the origin of man And yet there is an explanation, where is the explanation for woman? Of course, no one can explain a woman. Right? Men? Where did woman woman come from? Well, both man and woman were created by God. They both were a miracle. The existence of man can uh, be nothing less than a miracle. Man is a miracle from the Master. Now secondly, not only miraculously made, but marvelously made. In Psalm 139, 141, we read, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Man is a marvel to the mind of most educated scientists. Man is a marvel to the keenest biologist. Man is a marvel to the smartest physiologist. Man has indeed been fearfully and wonderfully made. Man is made up about, of about 24 elements, 65% oxygen, 18.5 carbon, 9.5 hydrogen, 3.3 nitrogen, 1.5 calcium, 1% phosphorus, 0.35% of potassium, sulfur, sodium, chloride, and magnesium. There are traces of iron, iodine, zinc, uh, sol- uh psyllium, cobalt, fluorine, silicon, copper, manganese, boron, aluminum, uh, chromium, and selenium. A human being form- normally uh, has 46 chromosomes, 23 pairs in all. Half of each pair was inherited from the mother, the other half from the father. Chromosomes contain thousands of genes, each which has a for- information for a specific unit. The information is the form of the chemical code, and the chemical compound that codes these genetic information is called DNA. Each of these thousands of genes are coded for a specific protein. These proteins determine specific physical traits, such as height, body shape, color of hair, eyes, skin, so forth, body chemistry, blood type, metabolic functions, and so forth, and some aspects of behavior and intelligence. There are anywhere from 50 to 75 trillion cells in the human body. The activity within a single cell is equivalent to that of a large city such as Tokyo or Chicago. The genetic information contained in just one cell of the human body is roughly equivalent to a library of 4,000 volumes. There are 2 trillion chemical reactions taking place in every one of those 50 to 75 million cells every second of your life. These cells, so small, that the letter zero on the page of a book could contain up to 40,000 cells. And yet, each individual cell is a world in itself with a specialized function and an intricate timetable that tells the cells when to grow, when to divide, when to make hormones, when to die. And in the human body, there are three billion cells that die and are replaced every minute. The human brain contains some 30 billion cells, the skin has about a million cells per square inch, and in some veins, about uh, 20 trillion cells go about their business. One molecule of hemoglobin, the protein in blood that carries oxygen to every part of the body, contains 3,032 atoms of carbon, 4,812 atoms of hydrogen, 780 atoms of nitrogen, 4 atoms of iron, 800... 80 atoms of oxygen and 12 atoms of sulfur. I think of the human eye. The retina of the eye contains 130 million light receptors and allows us to distinguish 8 million colors. The simple act of walking into the room and immediately recognizing all the objects requires more computing power than a dozen of the world's top supercomputers put together. Now, would you not agree that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And all that didn't happen by accident. How could anyone deny that behind the human body is a designer and a creator? We must agree that man is a divine creation. Man can make a monkey out of himself if he wants to, but I I prefer to accept the fact that God made me. Now we do not only see that man is a divine uh, creation but we also see that man is a distinct distinct creation now when we look at, at all that God created you see that man is unique and distinct from all creation all things were created by God but man was distinct from it all notice the creation of man was the final work of creation the final work Over the course of the six days, God created all the heavens and the earth and all that was in them. The last of God's creation was man, and God saved the best for last. Man was the highlight of all of God's creation. God spent the first three days forming the earth, the last three days filling the earth. And the truth is, God created a place for man to live and created the provisions for man to live on. Notice in verse 29 of Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. Everything was created for man. God created an earth on which to live and created food in the various forms by which we live. God did it all for man. And when it was all done, then God created man. Man may have been the final work, but he was the foremost work of creation. So we see man was the final work of creation. Secondly, we see the favored work of creation. Man was created on the sixth day. But that is not all that he created in the sixth day. Notice back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Man and animals were created actually on the same day. Yet we see that there is something Very unique, very distinct about the man that made him different from the animals. In verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. In uh, verse 27, So God created man in his own image. So what made man so unique and distinct from the other creation is that he was made in the image of God. And in this manner, man was unlike any other part of creation. There was given to man a resemblance of God. The word likeness there speaks of a model or an image. An image speaks of a resemblance. It does not mean necessarily that we look like God in our physical features. But notice again that God said, let us. The us, no doubt, speaks of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is one God, he is one God manifested in three persons. And it's my belief that this is the likeness referred to. We are told that man was made in the image of God. This does not mean man looks like God or that God has a body like we do. It does mean that man was created like God and that man is also a tripartite being. In the Godhead, there is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In man, there is the body, the soul, and the spirit. God is a three-part being. Man is also a three-part being. God has an intellect, a will, and emotions, and so does mankind. And this is the primary way in which mankind can be distinguished from the members of the animal kingdom. Every person who ever comes into the world has these three parts. They have a body... They have a soul and they have a spirit. Now let's just look at those three parts uh, for a moment. The body. The body is the vehicle which we move through and interact with our world. Uh, It's the body that provides a home for the soul and the spirit while we're here in this world. Both humans and animals have bodies. When we die, our bodies return to the earth. Secondly, there's the soul. The soul is the seat of the will, the character, the intellect, the thoughts, and the emotions. The soul is where the reason. we reason and we love and we hate and we want. The soul is what we refer to when we speak of the mind. Your soul animates your body and allows you to interact with your world and other people. In short, your soul is what part of you that makes you what you are. Your soul makes you self-conscious. Uh, there is a sense in which uh, it can be said that animals have souls, that is, they have life within them and they have a self-consciousness and they're able to interact around the world around them. But notice then there is the spirit. Here's where the similarities between man and animals end forever. While the soul makes us self-conscious, the spirit allows us to be God-conscious Every man that is born into this world is born spiritually dead, according to Ephesians 2 and verse 1. But when the Spirit of God comes in and quickens or brings to life the spirit which is within man, that person will find his spirit reaching out in faith toward God. And after salvation, the new spirit of life within a person begins to transform the soul part of man and these changes within the spirit and the soul demonstrate themselves by the actions of the body now all of that seems rather complicated but think of it like this the soul and the spirit are similar in the manner in which they are used in the spiritual life of the believer they are different in reference the soul of a man uh, is his horizontal view of the world The spirit is man's vertical view of God, or with God. It's important to understand that both refer to the immaterial part of man, Uh, but only the spirit refers to man's walk with God. The soul refers to man's walk in the world. And when we leave this world, the soul and spirit return to God to be dealt with accordingly, and the redeemed will go to glory and the lost will go to hell. Man is the only part of creation that can communicate and have communion with its creator. You know, plants cannot fellowship with God. Animals cannot commune with God. Only man. And everything in creation was created for man. But man was created for who? God. You and I were created for God. And in this Man was not only the final work of creation, but the favored work of creation. And we are the only part of creation that will know its creator. Lastly, notice this. Man is a dominant creation. Notice back again in verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1, And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. This is the first words of God to man. God made man and then he spake to man. We talked about communication in Sunday school, in our adult Sunday school class this morning, how important it is to to know some things about communication. And here we have the first communication between God and man. He spake to man. You might say this is the first commandment of the Bible. What did he tell a man to do? Well, first of all, uh, we see that God told man to reproduce on the earth. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Man was given the ability to reproduce and the responsibility to reproduce. Now think with me for a moment. Every time a baby is aborted, the first commandment of God is broken. Babies were never meant to be aborted, but to be born. And in our day, in our time, I should point out that God was speaking to man and woman. You see, homosexuality is a violation of the first commandment. Men can't re- do, reproduce men. And women can't reproduce women. So homosexuality and its relationships is not a sickness, it's a sin. They are not an alternate lifestyle, but a, 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 a abominable lifestyle. They go against the very purpose of God's creation. I mentioned a little bit about this, uh, this what was going on this week with... Uh, You know, some of the things with the Chick-fil-A, restaurant and so forth. And it's amazing how uh, many times that uh, uh, we hear any kind of thing like I just gave you right now. Some would say I'm being hateful. I hate sin. I don't hate sinners, but I hate sin. God hates sin. And if they want to call it hate speech, they better know where the hate's directed toward. It's toward the sin, not to the person. God loves even the sinner. He loved me. He loves you. But He hates our sin. And He hates the sin of homosexuality as well. It goes absolutely against the purpose of God's creation. God told man to reproduce... On the earth. Secondly, he told man to rule over the earth. God told man to subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that liveth on the earth. The word dominion means to master or prevail over. We read over in Psalm in ver- chapter eight, and verse six: "Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet." Man is under the lordship of his creator. And the creation is under the lordship of man. This is seen in each scientific and medical and technological discovery and feat of man. No fish has ever discovered a cure for some disease. No bird has ever invented a computer. No dog has ever designed a rocket that could go to the moon. Man was dignified in creation with headship and lordship of the earth and when we see man that he's a divine creation he's a distinct creation and he's a dignified creation we have to ask why would anyone want to make a monkey out of themselves now let me close with this on the final day of creation God made land animals made insects and beasts of the earth and then he made man the, these animals reproduced after his kind and we know for example that man cannot change into a monkey and monkey into a man it's genetically and scripturally impossible we must believe God's word now what might be the spiritual application to a message like this we talked about how we are divine creation how we are miraculously and marvelously made That means you and I are special to the Lord. Yes, God made the animals and even the bugs. But God did not send His Son to die for a bug. God sent His Son to die for you and for me. He shed His precious blood that you and I might have eternal life. I don't know if there will be any bugs in heaven or not. Some think there might be some cats and dogs up there i don't I don't know if there is I, I I haven't been told, but I know he's prepared a home for me. Listen, there is a connection between the teaching of evolution and the social ills of our culture and the difficulty of getting people interested in Christianity. The more that this that the generation of students are indoctrinated to believe in solely material causes for the origins of life, and the more their thinking processes are devoid of any understanding of a creator God, the more they are led to believe that there are no absolutes and the truth is relative. The more evolutionary ideas pervade our culture, the more a person's whole way of thinking will change. For them, right and wrong will be whatever they determine for themselves if they can get away with it. If they're just an animal, then no one owns them. So their body is their own and they can do with it what they want. And you see people doing with their bodies what they want all over the the country today. What has happened is that the thinking of generations of people have gradually changed so they don't think in a Christian framework work anymore. Their presuppositions are different. They approach life with a different philosophy, and so their actions result in things like abortion, school violence, child abuse, sexual perversion, and on and on we could go. We need to believe God. We need to trust God. And we need to be faithful to share the gospel with others. We need to see men and women and boys and girls receiving Christ and having the truth about God and about this world and about eternity. God made you and I for a special purpose, and that is to glorify Him. If you're not saved, you will not fulfill that purpose. If you're not walking in fellowship with Him this afternoon you're not going to fulfill that purpose. Thank God for an opportunity to know the truth and to trust the God of truth every day of our lives. I trust that as we think about this and the world in which we live in today, again, we'll pray for one another, pray for our families, pray for our children. Our children are in public schools, grandchildren and so forth. They are being indoctrinated with this idea of evolution. It's just just like I read from the World Encyclopedia. It's just a given. Billions of years ago, something just happened. And it's written into their storybooks. It's written into their textbooks. It's being taught as just a matter of fact when it is no fact at all. And so we need to pray for our, one another, pray for our families, and pray for God's uh, help in leading us to people who need Christ, who want to trust Christ and, and see them saved and and know the truth. And I trust that as we do that, we'll be honoring, glorifying the no, name of the Lord Jesus Christ and fulfilling the purpose that he's given us in this world today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of your word thank you Lord that we can come here today not just because we want to be religious or we want to soothe a conscience or fulfill a duty or responsibility although it is our responsibility to be faithful we pray Lord that we're here not just as a social gathering not to just uh, uh, see friends and, and talk with them. But Lord, we pray that as we're here today, we'll be reminded again and again of the truth of your word and the importance of living for you and being faithful in our testimony to others, that others will come to Christ. Help us to, be, to also remember to be praying for one another praying for our children and our grandchildren, praying for our uh, young people in school. Pray that they'll get the the right teaching. Pray, Lord, uh, that uh, we'll see people come to Christ to know the truth, to allow the truth to set them free. Lord, as we have met this afternoon, we pray Lord also as we think about what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary's cross. We come before you and gather around this table, this Lord's table this afternoon. Help us to be mindful of what you've done in our behalf. You made us and you made us for a purpose. And we pray, Lord, that we'll fulfill that purpose. Creation was made for us. We pray, Lord, that we'll be faithful and